0: Welcome to the Mormon Faircast. I'm Ned Skarsbrick, and one of the many volunteers of Fair Mormon who help those with faith issues. These podcasts will be a series of nine episodes done by Karen Trifoletti from the I Believe podcast. Each episode deals with issues regarding how the Bible is a reliable source of truth. These podcasts are used by permission of Karen Trifoletti and the I Believe podcast group, And now, the authenticity of the Bible.
1: I'm Andrew Hancock, producer of I Believe Podcasts, intended for all truth-seekers, from agnostic and religiously unaffiliated to those intellectually struggling, or friends of other faiths seeking to know more about life's meaning, Christianity, or Christ's Church. Your host is Karen Trifoletti, a self-identified, perfectly imperfect, but graced follower of Jesus Christ. For more podcasts or information, please visit our website at ibelievepodcast.com or subscribe on iTunes. Here's Karen.
2: Hey, welcome back to I Believe Podcast, everyone. You know, we're back on the next of our series of casts on the reliability of the Bible. I'm excited to be with you and with our guest, again, D.M. Johnson. If you missed the overview, please feel free to check that out on ibelievepodcast.com or YouTube. Um, again, we've invited back Bible enthusiast, amateur scholar, and author D.M. Johnson to be with us today. Welcome back, Dave. Good to be back. In our overview cast, uh, we introduced eight points, eight reasons, actually pointing to the authenticity of the Bible and indicated that we would go into more depth on each one. Um, the first of which is the existence of extra-biblical evidence and sources that affirm the records of the sacred text. So. I just wanna say before we get into that evidence that it's really important for people to realize that we have 27 books and letters which make up the New Testament. These all date within the first century. It's clear that some people are skeptical for a variety of reasons about the Bible and sometimes distrust something solely because it's in the Bible. Let's address that first and then we'll move on to the extra biblical evidence, Dave.
3: Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, we have people, the overwhelming uh, number of scholars out there in the world today date, even the atheist and agnostic scholars, date the Gospels within the first century, before 100 AD. And so it's possible for for people to start out and just treat it uh, like an ancient set of literature. Uh, When you go through the extra-biblical evidence, uh, it just underscores the fact that there is a lot of data outside the Bible that shows at least a historical coherence with the Bible. As we mentioned in our last uh, cast, we have facts from outside the Bible that give us a story storyline that's congruent with the New Testament.
2: So we'll talk about the figures in the New Testament which are tested outside the Bible. Okay, well let's just dive in then. Um, I think, as you and I have agreed, Dave, that it would be good for our listeners to understand some of the misunderstandings and misinformation around each of the points that we're considering. So we'll provide some solid context about the author and the subject because a lot of times, you know, without that context, truth, quote, falls into the street, as the scriptures say, error can kind of display as truth. Right, Dave?
3: Yeah, I like to say, you know, uh, a text without a context is just a pretext for whatever you want to say. And so it's important that as we do this, we go through it in that fashion.
2: Perfect. Let's then start with Suetonius, the Roman historian who recorded the lives of the Caesars and the historical events around their reigns.
3: Yeah, Suetonius is interesting. He's living from about 69 to 122. And, and as you mentioned, you know, he served as a court, of, a court official. He was an analyst who wrote down the histories of, of some of these leaders. And he records the expulsion of the Christians, uh, or of, of the Christian Jews, rather, from Rome. And so he actually says, uh, because the, the Jews at Rome caused continuous disturbances at the instigation of Christus, he expelled them from the city. So he just has one remark in there, um, but most scholars believe this is a reference to Christ.
2: And, and we sometimes see people, don't we, that point to the particular spelling of Suetonius used in that passage as if that's going to lay doubt on, you know, to whom was being referred. Can you address that?
3: Yeah, it is interesting because we do have a lot of people in the first century. I, I sometimes hear even even Bart Ehrman say, you know, people back then couldn't spell any better than we can today. <laughs> but we have some evidence even back um, in, in that era of church fathers like Tertullian telling people that they didn't even know how to spell Christians correctly or things like that. We also have church apologists like, like Justin Martyr with misspellings in his writings. But the overwhelming uh, scholarship on that passage is is that it's referring to Christ, to Jesus.
2: Perfect. And do you want to um, speak to Tacitus at all?
3: Yeah, Roman? Tacitus is a Roman historian uh, for, of the first and second century, and, and he lived through the reign of about half a dozen Roman emperors, and he was one of the greatest historians. And he verifies the biblical account of the execution of Jesus at the hands of Pontius Pilate. Uh, that Pilate, as you know, governed from twenty six to thirty six during the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and so he he tells us some of the horrific things uh, that happened uh, to the Christians, and he. He refers to him, for instance, also as a, as a mischievous superstition, mm. some of the things like that. But he is one of the references that we have outside of the Bible that affirms to what happened to Christ.
2: Thank you. That that does really underscore the reality of that early persecution. The other thing I just can't help thinking, as you mentioned, Tacitus, is that one of the things we hear from the hyper skeptic community whenever people bring up the, the Jesus of history is that they assume all these kinds of references are probably Christian insertions. And it's very clear from what Tacitus said, this is not a Christian insertion. I mean, he basically refers to the movement, like you said, as as a mischievous superstition. Now, Christians would obviously not say something like
3: that. Right. So one of the the things that people will try to do is say, hey, somebody's tweaked with this, or a Christian inserted it, and and Christians certainly wouldn't refer to their movement as a a mischievous superstition. It's also interesting to just point out, if we can for a minute, that as he goes through that, he talks about Tiberius. He's also mentioned in the Bible. He talks about Pontius Pilate. He's also mentioned in the Bible. So again, we're seeing historical corroboration uh, with what we see in the New Testament.
2: Great. Um, And what about, let's talk about another source like Pliny the Younger.
3: Yeah, Pliny is writing, uh, we have one of his letters, some of his letters survive to us. And he's writing in about the year 112. And he was basically a Roman governor of a province in what it would now be uh, modern-day Turkey. And he writes, and I just want to read this quote because it's pretty mm-hmm. interesting what he says here. He says they, the Christians, were in habit of meeting on a certain day, on a certain fixed day before it was light, and then they sang an alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a god, and bound themselves by solemn oath, by a solemn oath not to do not to any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud theft, adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny a trust when they should have been called upon to deliver it up, after which was their custom to separate and then reassemble to partake of food, but not an ordinary or innocent kind.
2: That's a pretty clear reference, it seems to me. So there's a lot we can glean from just that, right, Dave?
3: There is. If you take that passage that we just read and dissect it, it shows that Christians worship Jesus as divine. And they upheld a high moral code Mm -hmm. uh, that they met on a certain day of the week to worship Jesus. And also a lot of scholars in looking at that feel that that points to a a Eucharistic or a communion, a sacramental type meal uh, as well. Mm,
2: That's powerful. And Pliny was obviously no friend of the Christian, had no Christian agenda or anything. So this information just seems to illustrate the early church worshiping Jesus as well as some of the persecution they had to deal with. And this data also debunks some of the things, you know, again put forth by Dan Brown in the Da Vinci Code that we talked about in the first cast, where Brown asserted that Constantine basically, you know, invented the divinity of Christ. And we see clearly, I think, here from what you just shared in this non-Christian source in Pliny, that people worshipped Christ centuries before Constantine or Nicaea. So, okay. So that said, let's move on, Dave, to um, Mara Serapian. Can you set up some context and then talk about the implications of those findings?
3: Yeah, uh, Serapian was in. Uh, prison and, and penned a letter to his son. And, and some people have talked about you know, what, what the meaning of the letter was. But, but in the course of the letter, he's talking about these different people in history who have been persecuted. And he, in, in the course of this, he's talking about these different theories, like, like Socrates, you know, he puts forth, what advantage did the Athenians gain from murdering Socrates? And then he goes through and he eventually points out, it says, what advantage did the Jews gain from executing their wise king? And he goes on to, to say some other things, and then at the end he references uh, that wise king again because of a new law he laid down. Mm.
2: So, I mean, from Serapion, just from that, we learned Jesus was executed by the Jews, that he was considered wise and virtuous, and that he's called a king, right? So, I mean, there are others describing those worshiping Christ as well, but I mean, that's powerful from, from just that one source, like Lucian. So can you speak to briefly about his sidebar remarks about Christians in his day as well.
3: Yeah, Lucian is a 2nd century uh, Greek writer, a satirist, and he he kind of speaks sarcastically about Christ and Christians. But in the process, you know, it never at any point does he act like 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 Christ is fictional. He affirms them as mm-hmm. as actual people. And he says, uh, the Christians, you know, worship a man to this day the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. And he goes on, you see the misguided creatures that start with a general conviction that they are immortal for all time, which explains the contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver, and they are all brothers from the moment that they are converted. They deny the gods of hmm. Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws.
2: I mean, that's compelling. And it gives us, again, another, we can glean these different historical nuggets from this that are confirmed in terms of what the early Christians were doing as well as Jesus being crucified.
3: Yeah, is- I mean, he he points out that Jesus was worshipped by the Christians. He introduced rites or sacraments or ordinances, if you want to call them that, Mm -hmm. he was put to death and that the Christians denied other gods Mm -hmm. uh, after their conversion and that they followed the laws of Christ. It sounds an awful lot like the New Testament (laughs) when you put put those bullets together, doesn't it? Sure
2: does. And what about witnesses around the events surrounding the death of Jesus?
3: You know, it's interesting because all of scholarship um, seeds that Jesus was was executed and and they'll talk about these different sources that we, we have for that. But there's uh, some interesting things that, that you can put as well out there. We have a couple of accounts that are sometimes uh, dismissed by, by people who are skeptics. And, and apologists look at them and say, hey, at least consider this. And there, there are two writings, uh, one by Thallus and one by Phlegon. And these are both written uh, relatively early. Thallus is in uh, 52. Uh, Phlegon is thought to have lived from 80 to 140. And uh, sometime later, a historian named Julius Africanus quotes, um, uh, and their writings, the writings of Thallus survive only through these quotes by Africanus later. But it's interesting. It talks about, um, and I'll just read here for a minute. It says, on. On the whole world, there pressed a most fearful darkness, and the rocks were rent, and an earthquake, and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. This darkness, Thallus, in the third book of his history, appears to me without reason an eclipse of the sun. Mm. So he's quoting him there, and then he goes on to to say, this couldn't have been an eclipse of the sun. There was a full moon, it was Passover, and he goes on. And Phlegon is also uh, referenced by Africanus, and he talks about... that it was at the time of Tiberius Caesar uh, that there was a full moon. And it's interesting because it it really talks about that darkness uh, in a way that is just really echoes uh, the New Testament right down to the sixth hour to the ninth hour. And so, you know, Thallus talks about an unexplained earthquake and darkness. Uh, He attributes it to an eclipse. And basically we have Africanus saying, hey... There was a full moon at the Jewish Passover. It couldn't have been that. We don't know all of what Thallus said because it doesn't survive, but it is interesting. And if these statements of Thallus, if they were referring specifically to, to Jesus' crucifixion, we can take away a few other things. Mm-hmm. that might have been known in the Mediterranean region of the first century, this, this account, and that there was widespread, uh, at least news, of this darkness in the land. It was something that people were, were talking about and trying to explain. And so the non-believers, of course, were trying to explain it away by natural, you know, by some other means.
2: I think that's powerful, those, those two together. And, and um, you know, uh, obviously some will still refute this, saying that the reference is disputed since Thallus and Phlegon, uh, Phlegon um, didn't explicitly reference Jesus. But, again, it's interesting to note, I think you've, you've already said it well, that their description fits in perfectly with the biblical account. So if we look at Matthew 27, talks of an earthquake at Jesus' death all of the synoptic Gospels have their respective accounts of that darkness. It was just so compellingly described there. So, I mean, Matthew 27, Mark, we'll put these all in the transcript for those that want to look at them. But we hear that there was darkness over the land from that sixth to ninth hour, as you just mentioned. Again, it seems too much of a coincidence to just ignore that. So
3: That's right. And it's, it's interesting, if you think about it, that, you know, Thallus, he didn't mention Jesus specifically by name. But it's interesting. It just points to the fact a lot of skeptics will say, well religious or spiritual people you you just start out where you want to end up and then you try to find you know confirmation bias you want to find facts that point and i think that that may be true in some cases with some folks but it's also true of people who are hyper skeptical they start out nope this can't be this because it didn't do this it can't be this and if you just look at history comprehensively Uh, with some of this evidence and treat the New Testament uh, with not a negative bias or a positive bias, I think the facts uh, wear out. online.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Let's move on to Josephus, Dave. It's interesting, you know, to me that the level of scrutiny and attack, the critics focus around especially one of these, one of the passages from Josephus. And if anyone listening isn't familiar with him, Josephus was a Romano-Jewish scholar and historian born in Jerusalem. And his works are just have so much material about groups and customs and individuals including of course jesus Um, and yet we want to we want you to know and we want to underscore that even many liberal scholars who aren't christian um, textual critics affirm that there's a core nucleus of material about which josephus recorded Um, and i'd like to read a passage from josephus dave and then have you address maybe some of the controversy that surrounds it if that's okay So, now, around this this time lived Jesus, a wise man, for he was a worker of amazing deeds and was a teacher of people who gladly accept the truth. He won over both many Jews and many Greeks. Pilate, when he heard him accused by the leading men among us, condemned him to the cross. But those who had first loved him did not cease doing so. To this day, the tribe of Christians named after him has not disappeared. So will you speak to this controversy around Josephus?
3: Yeah, the controversy, and it's, it's interesting, we touched on this in the overview cast, about how many copies do you have and how close are they? And so there's a couple of different variations of this passage. Um, and in, in another you know, variation, when, when you look at it, there's some things it says, for instance, when it talks about Jesus, if it be lawful to call him a man, and things like that that really sound, hey, there's a Christian person putting some, you know, almost reverence and respect around Christ. No, Josephus wouldn't have done that. And if you look at scholarship, it's really interesting because there are some scholars that think this whole thing is an insertion. Uh, there's also some scholars that think the entire thing is is genuine. But most scholars believe that what you read is what was there. Uh, there's, there's some other phrases that are added, appear to have been added in, and... Uh, we can tell that we have a core nucleus, and the reason that scholars have come to that conclusion—most of them, not all of them—there's some that believe, like I said, that that it's totally genuine, and others that think it's a total insertion. But really, there are no surviving copies of Josephus that don't have that reference in some form. In fact, we have some um, from other areas of of the world that don't have those extra what what people think are dubious Christian pieces put on there. And so that's where most scholars have come to, hey, there's a core nucleus here. He clearly mentioned at least the fact that Jesus was there and you know, and that he died.
2: So if we assume the scholars are right and we dismiss the disputed words in Josephus's first passage about Jesus, we really learn that Jesus lived in the first century he performed wonderful works, miracles, we could say. Some believe Jesus to be the Christ. He was a teacher. He had many followers. He was tried by Pilate. He was crucified. He was the founder of Christianity. I mean, those are some core tenets right there.
3: There is, and it's also important to, to talk for just a minute about, it's really convenient for people to try to dismiss Josephus, but most scholars point out, wait a minute, Josephus also referenced uh, Jesus having a brother named James. Uh, he also references John the Baptist. And so he also says uh, some other things that tie to Jesus uh, in passages that aren't disputed. And so if, if I look at those passages for a minute and I give the facts that we learn from those fa- passages, we learned that Jesus has a brother named James. Uh, he was a, you know, James was accused of being a breaker of the law. Mm-hmm. Herod had John killed. Uh, James the brother of Jesus had others that were with him that stood accused as well Uh, you know James uh, the brother of Jesus died uh, as a martyr you know and so so we have a lot of things others were put uh, to death with James there was John that was called the Baptist John the Baptist taught uh, the Jews to exercise righteousness and and virtue toward one another John the Baptist taught the Jews to have piety towards God and come to baptism Uh, Herod feared the great influence that John would have over the people. These are not facts I'm getting out of the New Testament. Mm. These are facts that we can get from these sources that in fact corroborate, hey, this was going on at at this time.
2: Thank you. So many spiritual and evidences of that the authenticity and reliability of those accounts, as you said. Um, so, Dave, there's also something interesting about Josephus himself, too. Isn't it true that our principal info about Jewish Palestine in the days of Jesus comes from the writings of Josephus? And yet, how often is Josephus mentioned in the sources of his day? I mean, never. He's, you know, this obviously doesn't cause people to doubt the existence of Josephus. Um, you know, It's not even expected that he would necessarily be mentioned somewhere else. So when this view is adopted by hyperskeptics on the other side, you know that Jesus would have been expected to to be mentioned exhaustively by historians of his day. It's kind of made out of more of ignorance and emotion, I think, not by looking at the norms of the day in terms of what they used to document. Can you speak to that myth and debunk that a little bit I
3: can, and and I'm going to uh, paraphrase uh, what Bart Ehrman said uh, when he did a reading for his... He wrote a book called Did Jesus Exist? And here's the same author that we talked about that that caused so much... uh, you know, angst over over the biblical transmission. He also wrote a book called "Did Jesus Exist" and put forth very, very uh, compelling arguments for the existence of Jesus, which then, of course, made <laughs> some of the mythicists and the atheists upset. Mm-hmm. But it's he, he talked about, and I was really impressed with what he said. You know, it's a myth that the Romans took. Detailed accounts of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, what do we not know about Pontius Pilate? You know, Josephus mm. records that uh, Pilate ruled from 26 to 36, and you could argue that he was the most influential you know figure in Roman Palestine for that time. But what records do we have about that 10 year period? True. You know, what about his itinerary? What about the decrees he passed? What about the laws he issued? Uh, the prisoners he put on uh, trial? All these kind of things. The death warrants he signed. His scandals. His interviews. His judicial proceedings we have none, True, and so it's just interesting. You know, we have a, a fragmentary okay. inscription uh, around Pilate. Uh, we, have, we have some coins, some things like that. We wouldn't expect that from Jesus, but we have nothing uh, from his hand, and so uh, it's just interesting. I thought it was interesting that the airmen pointed this out of, of all people. Oh. So we have more information about Pilate than almost any other governor of Judea Uh, in the Roman times and so it really is a modern myth to say that we have extensive Roman records from antiquity that surely would have mentioned someone like like Jesus he was not in the aristocratic you know one of the aristocrats up, up there that was in that group and so it's actually remarkable what we do have about uh, Jesus. As Ehrman put it, you know, what are the chances that a lower class Jewish teacher would be mentioned? You know, almost none. And as as he puts it, it's, it's barely relevant to the conversation, but yet we still have people who are really emotionally invested in wanting to say that, that Jesus didn't exist.
2: Thank you. Thank you. So as you said, it's remarkable. He was mentioned as many times as he was given um, the social and economic class. So I know we have some sources, Dave, who are not in the Bible who are Christian. I want to go over these, but I'd like to know what you'd say to those who simply dismiss authors doing, um, you know, based on some bias, just saying that they're biased Christians. I think you addressed it a little bit before.
3: Yeah, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that everybody has bias. Uh, Every person has bias, and I think people need to, to challenge their bias. But to just dismiss somebody based on that bias is wrong. You know, Craig Blomberg and other scholars have said, hey, you know, we have a whole lot of records from the Jewish Holocaust from the Jews uh, because they were there. Uh, Do they have bias? Yeah, they do, but that doesn't mean that they didn't experience what they experienced. And so, if we're just being uh, intellectually honest with ourselves, we need to come at things understanding that people have bias and and look at it in that way. But if we look at, at what we see from these early church fathers, uh, it is quite remarkable, and I'll just go through them and kind of summarize. We had pa- uh, Papius that was there uh, early in the church in the first and second century. We have Polycarp, we have Ignatius, and we have Clement. And and these church fathers, if we just look at the first three, from Poly- if we look at Polycarp, Ignatius, and Clement, we have nine epistles that cite and quote Paul almost 100 times. Uh, they cite twelve of the thirteen epistles uh, you know, that are there that are attributed to Paul. They cite the Gospels well over a hundred times. And so this gives us two hundred citations uh, or roughly around hundred a d for the New Testament. And so for people to uh, try to late date uh, the Gospels, this is one of the reasons that that even the skeptics will admit, okay, these were in the first century is because we have such a good record of these people who were quoting, uh, from from the new testament and treating it uh, as scripture at the time
2: thank you i so said at the very least it shows like you said an early awareness of these new testament documents and not the Gosp- the gnostic text which is interesting which we sometimes hear about right so that's kind of another little side note there that reinforces that canonical versus gnostic gospel discussion that we were having before
3: that's exactly right we have solid evidence for the four gospels That they were used very, very early on. In fact, one of the early church fathers says they were as sure as the four points of the compass. He talks about that. So it wasn't like they had these, you know, all of these Gospels and they're throwing some in the fire and putting in these ones because it said what they wanted. No, these were the four early historical accounts that people thought uh, were authored by the apostles and went back to Christ.
2: Great. And I think it's also telling that a lot of this evidence comes from letters going back and forth from different individuals. So um, let's talk about some examples. Where we had an early person who was defending Christianity, and maybe somebody who was opposed or against it, like Justin Martyr, maybe you can speak to him first Dave
3: yeah, Justin wrote some letters uh, defending christianity he was he was probably the first real vocal apologist outside the New Testament that we see a lot of his writings and he's living from uh, 100 to 165 CE and um, we have three of his letters that are pretty much unanimously accepted to be authentic and he defends the Christians and he speaks of his conversion he speaks of of Jesus he talks a lot about his different teachings and one of the sayings that he says that I I find uh, you know really important is he said we have not believed empty fables or words without foundation and so he goes on to, you know, he defends the different things that the Christians were were believing at the time. you
2: got to love it. And let's talk about somebody who we know had an agenda against Christianity and wrote against it like Celsus, who wrote not just a letter, but an entire work attacking Christianity. Can you highlight some of his content?
3: Yeah, he did. And we know about Celsus through a church father named Origen, kind of like in the situation with Thallus. We only knew about him because of Julius Africanus. Here we, have a, here we have a situation with Celsus. We know about him through a church father named Origen who was writing back uh, a response. And so it's interesting because we know that Celsus talked about, you know, he made reference to, to the virgin birth, to the wise men, to the slaughter of the infants, the, the flight to Egypt, Christ's baptism, the election of the disciples, the healing of the blind, the denial of Peter, the death, the resurrection. And, of course, he was, he was an enemy to Christianity. He, he perverts and abuses all of these things. But it's interesting that he, you know, he yeah, he tried to, talk, he tried to dismiss uh, the miracles of Jesus by saying maybe he learned sorcery when he was in Egypt and different things like this. But he was an enemy that was out there.
2: He knew he was a real historical person. Yeah, exactly right. He did. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also, you know, over 30 people mentioned in the New Testament who are uh, mentioned outside the New Testament in a variety of non-Christian sources. Um, can, you, can you address that a little bit?
3: Yeah, we have, we have well over 30 people who are, who are mentioned um, outside the New Testament in non-Christian sources. And so in addition to Jesus, um, we have, you know as we mentioned before, we have Herod, we have, we have Caiaphas, uh, we have Herod Philip, uh, we have John the Baptist, we have James, the brother of Jesus. A lot of people don't know this. We have things from inscriptions, we have things from Josephus, from Tacitus, Uh, from Pliny and Suetonius, who we talked about before, and so it actually surprises a lot of people that we have so many folks who are attested outside the New Testament as well as inside the New Testament. And if I could just talk about these contours really quickly and kind of review them, I think it's key um, that I just want, this is from the sources we've already gone over, I just want you to think, if you're listening to this, these are things that we're compiling Not from one source, but it's really a mosaic of all the sources that were around at the time. Facts from outside the New Testament. And you tell me, you think to yourself as you're listening to this, does this sound like the New Testament? First fact, Jesus was the founder of the Christian faith. Uh, Jesus lived in Judea. He was a teacher. Uh, There was a John who was called the Baptist. Herod had John killed. John the Baptist taught uh, the Jews to exercise righteousness and virtue towards one another. Uh, Jesus had a brother named James. Jesus performed miracles and was a healer. Jesus was crucified during the reign of Tiberius Caesar under Pontius Pilate. There was an earthquake and darkness at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. The followers of Jesus believed he had been raised from the dead. Uh, The followers of Jesus met on a certain day of the week to worship him. Christians had conflicts with Rome due to their beliefs. Christians were tortured and killed because they wouldn't deny Christ. If you just look at these extra-biblical sources we can paint a portrait that is much congruent with the New Testament. And uh, again, we have all these people that are mentioned outside the New Testament that give us additional corroboration.
2: I think it's powerful. And and we will post a chart just for our listeners if you want to go to the website at ibeliefpodcast.com with a transcript of these over 32 people from the New Testament, as Dave said, who were mentioned outside the New Testament in non-Christian sources. And you can see the pattern the corroboration there and then study it for yourself. Thanks so much, Dave, for being with us. It was good to be here. Today. Again, we invite our listeners to go to the Bible itself and to read and inquire. Uh, check out these sources again and ask questions. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any, um, this is part two in a cast and the series of the reliability of the Bible is a, a source of divine truth. We hope that you will engage the discussion on Facebook or in social media. Um, send in some questions or comments to iBelievePodcast.com. The next part in the series will be discussing uh, manuscript evidence behind the New Testament. We hope that you'll join us for that and come prepared. And uh, you know, send us in some questions in advance if you like. We hope that you'll join us. May you be blessed in your own spiritual journey as well. Take care.
1: Thank you for listening to I Believe, Expressions of Faith, with host Karen Trifoletti. For the video of this podcast, visit our website at iBelievePodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash iBelievePodcast. Follow us on Twitter or give us a call at one eight five no god one with your sincere questions. Karen would love to hear from you.
0: If you like this podcast, you can help support it by subscribing to it in iTunes or writing a review. Post a link on your blog or Facebook page. As always, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast may not represent those of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or that of Fair Mormon. Thanks for listening.